I'm sure every single one of us is so aware that Christmas is one week away. All right, and so as we head towards this Christmas weekend, I'm sure so many of you have very different feelings. Some of you love Christmas. Some of you are so excited about all that means. Some of you are looking so forward to spending time with family. Some of you are finding out how you cannot spend time with family. Your kids are like begging you every single day, mom, dad, you know, is Santa gonna get me what I asked for? And so we're heading towards this Christmas weekend with a whole lot of ideas that cloud our minds mind and cloud our hearts. And so what we as a church have wanted to do during this December season is continue what God was doing in us as a church for the rest of the year. For those of you who have been journeying with us, you would know that we've been taking steps towards what does it mean to be a church that is saturated with the presence and the power of God's spirits. And as some of us have taken great steps forward, and some of us have taken smaller steps forward, I believe the Christmas season is not a time to change that narrative, but rather to continue that. And the way we're doing that is we're looking at the book of Luke. And Luke is probably the gospel writer that gives us the, the most number of Christmas stories. And what is so incredible about the way Luke leads up to the Christmas story is that he's just got encounter after encounter where it's just saturated with people encountering the supernatural presence of God. And so we've been looking at and we will continue to look at these different stories and how each of these people encounter the supernatural presence of God and how we in turn can be encouraged to continue to engage with the presence of God. After all, Christmas is all about Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if God comes into our world, it means he wants to be with us and hopefully we can better engage his presence and his power. And so as we head into the message, you know, I was learning about a study the other day, and I'm going to just ask some of the questions of you, and I'm going to literally ask you to put your hands up um, as we look at some of the questions from the study. There's going to be three, and question number one is this. All right, you're competing in the Olympic Games sport of your choice. What would you prefer, to come second, to come third, or to come second last. You're only allowed to vote once, but you have to vote. How many people would opt to come second? Okay, that's probably a third of us. How many of you would opt to come third? Sure, that's probably 5% of us. And how many of you would opt to come second last? Okay, there's a whole lot of you that never voted. Okay, so let's try that again. From the top, who would prefer to come second? Okay, we're way more than third. We're about a half, 55, 60%. Who would prefer to come third? That's about 10%. And who would prefer to come second last? Okay, that's the remaining 20 odd percent. All right, now let me tell you, according to the research, what the general population voted. We can see how we line up. All right, so 90% of the population would prefer to come second, 8% would prefer to come third, and 2% would prefer to come second last. That kind of roughly lines up with where we are. Let's go to question number two. 
Question number two is, and we're in dollars, and so we're multiplying by 20. Um, would you prefer, if you won the lottery, to get $10 million tomorrow or start getting money tomorrow and then in increasing amounts, eventually land up with a total of $8 million? So it's either everything tomorrow or you start off with a lump sum tomorrow building up until eventually over the course of many years, you have a total of 8 million. How many of you want it all tomorrow? Okay, that's about 60%. You really trust your financial management skills. Number two, I'm assuming the rest of your hands up, receiving increasing payments, getting 8 million in total. All right, okay, so that's about 45%. Let's see where the population was. Population is 92% of the population wants to get it tomorrow, which means they're going to be poor in six months' time <laughs> if we know how these things go, and then 8% of the population want increasing payments. Question number three, reminder, you have to vote, and you're only allowed to vote once. You get to choose your salary, once again, in dollars. I'm assuming this is an annual salary, and you're only thinking about your own happiness. So you're not being a martyr, you're not being a good manager, you're literally only thinking about yourself and you're voting on your own happiness. Would you prefer $50,000 a year and everyone else also gets $50,000 a year? That's option one. Option two is you get 50 grand a year, everyone else gets 60 grand a year. So everyone else gets more than you. Remember, you're not voting for them, you're voting for your own happiness. Option three, you get 40 grand and everyone else gets 30 grand. Okay, voting for your own happiness alone, you're not being Christians, you're being selfish narcissists. <laughs> Who go votes for option one? All right, sure, we're socialists here. Everybody's on the equal terms. That's about 90% of the audience. Number two, who's voting for number two? All right, we've got about 10% of you guys. And then finally, number three. <laughs> Yucku and maybe one or two others. All right, let's reveal the population averages. The average population, number one, 60% chose that, 34% chose the next one, and 6% chose the final one. And that, once again, is roughly what we had represented here this morning. So, this was research, and so I want to reveal to you on the happiness scale, which of those three questions resulted in the highest level of happiness, actual real-life happiness, okay? Here's the big reveal. Question number one, those who came in third are way happier than those who came in second. Think about that, okay? Question number two. This might shock you, but those who got increasing payments landed up being happier than those who got the lump sum in one go. And finally, this is probably the biggest shock of all, those who got 40 grand where everyone else got 30 grand were happier than anybody else. Now, where am I going with this? I feel like Oprah, look under your chair and just find something cool. Amongst many things, the study is trying to highlight how we misunderstand what truly makes us happy. 
did you notice the discrepancy between where most of our votes lay and where true happiness lay? And so this study highlighted what they called the expectation gap, where, according to this research, our expectation of reality was higher than our experience of reality. You see, the person who came second was extremely disappointed that they never came first. Whereas the person who came third was just happy they made it onto the podium. All right, just as an example. And so when we think about the expectation gap we have in our own lives, particularly going into this Christmas season, where our experience, sorry, our expectation of reality is higher than our experience of reality, we're all going to be experiencing different levels of this expectation gap. And so we need to ask ourselves, where do my expectations come from? For some of us, our expectations are wishful thinking. For some of us, it's very realistic thinking. One of the things that Bianca and I like to do when we meet with couples before they get married is we like to talk about expectations. We like to say to the couples, what expectations are you bringing into the relationship? If you want your wife, your future wife, to make you coffee every single day for the rest of your life, best you let her know now instead of trying to read your mind. And then they share their expectations with one another and they have to respond with, you know what, with regards to this particular expectation, I am so happy to meet that expectation. But with regards to this one, you know what, it's so outside of my comfort zone, but because I love you, even if it's difficult, I'm going to meet that expectation. And with some of these expectations, it's like, That ain't gonna happen, buddy. I don't care what goes on. That's wishful thinking. And so that causes us to edit and audit our expectations. Where did my expectations come from? Do I have an expectation that my wife must make me coffee every single day because mommy dearest made me coffee in bed every single day and now I'm imposing that on her? And if I have these expectations, where did they come from and how do I adapt them out of love and towards reality? And so we can see that the bigger the expectation gap, the more unhappy we are going to be. Now, we're heading into the Christmas season, and many of you love the Christmas season and are just going to be happy from now for the next two weeks as you experience all that you hope it's going to be. However, as adults prayed this morning, there are many, many, many people, more than you might imagine, who don't look forward to the Christmas season and for various reasons are going to experience failed expectations. Whether it's the failed expectation of being around loved ones or being around people who love me, or whether it's the failed expectation of how I imagined the holiday to be, or how I imagined the family experience to be, or the gift that my husband was supposed to buy me. I've got this expectation gap and therefore I'm disappointed. Now, while I did say, 
I think emotional intelligence demands that we edit and audit our expectations. However, going to this Christmas season, I believe there is one place that if anything, we can raise our expectations and still be deeply satisfied by what we find. And that is what today is going to be all about. And so if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading the narrative around the shepherds, how they encountered the supernatural presence of God, and how we in turn can be encouraged by their story. So let's read from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So thinking about expectations, what were their expectations for the night? They were not expecting a supernatural encounter with God. They were probably just thinking, how are we going to keep track of all of these restless sheep? Wow, it looks like there might be some rain on the horizon. Where are we going to sleep tonight? That's pretty much their life, right? No day any different from the other day. But as we read on, and then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a, sorry, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, let's go back to our expectation equation. While at a very basic level, these shepherds had no expectations for how that night was going to be any difference from any other night on the job, Israel as a nation was saturated with expectations concerning the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, because of some of the prophecies, and Dalziel read one of those this morning, that had been prophesied from up to 700 years before there was this growing pregnant expectation of when is the Messiah going to come? When is the Lord going to come? And these shepherds found out on that night that they're going to witness this ultimate work of God coming in the form of a baby. Reading from verse 16 to the end. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told I wonder as they went to Bethlehem what their expectations were remember they had this very normal night lying ahead of them this angel appears and then the heavenly host appears telling them all these rabbis and all these prophets have been speaking about the coming Messiah you're going to witness him you're going to see him and as they went to Bethlehem I wonder 
Even though the angel did say he would be in a manger, which by the way is not just like a old fashioned word for a little baby bed. A manger was literally a feeding trough. It might have confused them a little bit. But I just wonder if they were heading towards Bethlehem expecting more angels, expecting like a welcoming committee, expecting lots of famous people, expecting lots of glory and lots of great food. But if anything, the birth of Jesus was in the humblest, most ordinary circumstances. And yet, we see their expectation gap exceeded. And it wasn't because of a worldly sense of glory, but rather in these humble circumstances, they experienced the person of God in the form of the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ. And so, as we look at the story and think about our own lives, I want to share with you three thoughts that I believe can grow our sense of expectation as we head towards this Christmas season. And the first thought is this. Let God's story, let God's story set your expectations. When we think about the story with the shepherds, where did they get these expectations from? Did one of them, they were watching some crazy prophets on YouTube once again, who's like out of all the days, you know, every day in the year, somebody's prophesying something. He happened to watch the one video that said the Messiah is going to be born today. Is that what happened? No, God himself spoke. God himself spoke to them. God revealed his story and his will. And based on what God said, they were able to respond with great hope. Once again, they weren't expecting anything to be different that night. God's glory shows up. God's angels, his messengers speaking on his behalf show up. And suddenly, the reason why they have such high expectation and such high joy and such high hopes is because they understand that the climax of God's story is happening right now and we're going to be eyewitnesses to it. Now, this is so important as we think about our own expectations because, honestly, I don't know if your husband has read and managed to understand all the hints you've been dropping throughout the year. I don't know if you're going to get the gifts. Kids, I don't know if you're going to get the presents that you're hoping for this year. I don't know if you're going to get the holiday you've been hoping for. I don't know if your family experience is going to be what you're hoping it all to be. I don't know if some of you are going to be surrounded by loved ones this coming Christmas season. And so in many ways, some of us are setting ourselves up for disappointment. However, beneath all of our stories, all of our hopes, all of our expectations, all the things we want, think back to those questions, all the things we think we want, the things we think will make us happy, we have a God. We have a God who has promised to be faithful to his people, to be faithful to his story. We have a God who is committed to being an Emmanuel kind of God, a God with us kind of God. A God who is for us, 
A God who enters our world, our circumstances, our humble conditions. The Christmas story I want to argue this morning is a story we can count on. And to be honest, even if all other expectations are not met this Christmas, and maybe we will experience some disappointments. Let me put it this way. Even if all your kind of commercial Christmas expectations get met, God doesn't send hosts of angels from heaven to rejoice at that. Even if it is a small miracle, your husband got you what you wanted. But when God says, here's what I'm doing, I'm sending my son and he is going to be the fullness of God among his people, being with his people, being for his people. That's the kind of thing God opens up the heavens for. That's the kind of thing he unleashes the hosts of heaven to celebrate with those humble shepherds on that day. And therefore, in all the expectations that we have, please set your expectations on this story because we can count on this story. That's the first thought. The second thought is we can't just have some expectations and some hope in our hearts. Let God's promises mobilize your expectations, meaning let's get beyond some inner happy feelings and move towards God because of the expectations that we have. Remember, these shepherds had this incredible encounter with the glory of God and His angels, and they didn't just stop there, kind of reveling in this post-glory moment. Rather, because they understood what was going on, they got on their camels or their donkeys or they just put their shoes on, and they started hightailing it towards Bethlehem. They put their expectations into practice. Their hope and their expectations meant that they went towards this place, this scene, what we call the nativity scene, with such great expectation. So I want to share a truth with you this morning, and here is the truth. We encounter God's presence more when we come with expectation. Now, let me unpack what that means and what that doesn't mean. I believe this statement is true for Christmas, for Sundays, for when I read God's Word, when I pray, when I come to life group, even when I go to work and I'm trying to be on co-mission with God, we encounter God's presence more when we come with expectations. So let me start off with, with what I'm not saying by this. I'm not saying that somehow if I pray the magic words before church on a Sunday, Lord, we come with expectation, that somehow God's like, oh yes, I need to show up at Riverside today. Our expectation doesn't mobilize God. Our expectation mobilizes our own hearts. And we're suddenly postured to see the God who is among us. The eyes of our hearts are enlightened by God's Spirit to see the God who is there. And so for that reason, we encounter God's presence more when we come with expectation. Put in reverse, when I come with no expectation or misplaced expectation, I easily miss the presence of God. Let me try and illustrate that. 
If you open up God's Word, January 1st, Bible reading plan for the year. If you open up God's Word and to you, for whatever reason, your expectation is, this is going to be boring. Guess what it's going to feel like? It's going to be boring. If you come to prayer and your attitude is, and your expectation is, I need to pray because it's kind of this Christian chore that I need to do because I'm now a kid in the family and kids have chores, and so I need to pray. Guess what? It's going to feel like a chore. If you come to church on a Sunday morning and your expectation is, oh my gosh, everyone else is doing the kinds of things I wish I was doing on a Sunday morning, but because I'm a Christian, I have to go to this thing called church and hope that God notices so my sort of, you know, good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and hopefully God sees and I will be blessed because of that. Guess what church is going to feel like to you? However, if every time we open up God's Word, Every time we get on our knees to pray, every time we gather with one another, be it in a small group, be it in a large gathering such as this, even as I go to work and I'm saying, God, you are the Emmanuel God, you are the God with us, God, and I want to go to work with you, I want you to go to work with me. If your expectation is based on the Christmas story that God is with us, and that God wants to know me, and God wants to be known, His presence and His power is available to me, and He is the greatest treasure, He is the greatest gift, and I want to step into that place. I have found the more I come with those expectations, the more I encounter the presence and power of God. James 4 verses 8 says it this way, come near to God and He will come near to you. Let me share with you the third thought for us. Let God's presence, let God's presence exceed your expectations. These shepherds were so overwhelmed, they were so blown away. Why? Was it because of the great production? Was it because of the adurves? Was it because of the meal and the palace and the armies and the money thrown around because of the birth of this king? As we highlighted earlier, if anything, this was the most humble of circumstances. So what blew them away? What left them praising and rejoicing and actually going around telling everyone what they experienced? It was the presence of God that they encountered in this baby. They encountered the Messiah himself. They encountered the Lord himself. And that made all the difference. And this, I believe, church, is the place where our expectations can be exceeded. One of my favorite lyrics from the Christmas carols that we sing and you know, sometimes we can sing these songs without much thought, but listen to just some of the beautiful, rich depth of these lines from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. 
hail the incarnate deity. That's what these shepherds experienced. They didn't just see a chubby little baby boy. They saw the Godhead. They saw incarnate deity. Please, there's man with man to dwell. Jesus is our God with us. Jesus is our Emmanuel. And listen, church, this is what we've been trying to grow into this year. The God who is with us, the God whose presence is among us, that we can engage in increasing measure what we've been learning this year and what I believe Christmas is challenging us towards this year is to seek God for His presence before His presence. His presence, C-E, before His presence, T-S. Where we seek God for who He is before what He can do for us. Where we seek God because He's the giver before we seek God for his gifts. Now, is he a good kind of God that gives good gifts? 100%, but there is a priority here. Because he is, he is the person of God, the presence and power of God is the pearl of great price that was hidden in the field. He is the treasure. And so I don't think that we should lower our expectations when it comes to this. Maybe in all other aspects of our Christian life and our home life and our Christmas life, maybe we do need to edit and audit some of our expectations. But in this area, I really pray that the presence of God exceeds and blows apart your expectations for who God is. And so maybe we can flip that expectation gap where the expectation gap that we experience in Christmas because of His presence is our experience of reality is greater than our expectation of reality. And so to summarize, before we go to the table this morning, we're gonna let God's story set your expectations. Number two, we're gonna let God's promises mobilize your expectations so that we come to Him with great expectation. And if we do that, number three, we're gonna let God's presence exceed our expectation. Now, so many of the songs that we sing highlight a truth that can affect how we think about Christmas and can affect even our expectations. The new song that we sang this morning, it says, for he is good, he is good. He was born to conquer the grave. He is good, he is good, but somehow that's contrasted with he was born to conquer the grave. We've spoken this morning about what happens when people fail to meet our expectations. How can we come to God? But what happens when we think God himself has failed our expectations? And, and I'm just gonna go right in with a big almighty challenge here. I think for so many Christians, our even Christianized expectations as we come into the Christmas season is kind of a mixed blend of some of the Christmas story and a whole bunch of the commercial Christmas story. And we put those two in a blender and out comes what I think Christmas should be like. And so I have this expectation 
that the Christian life of faith and the Christian journey should always be easy, should always be wonderful, should always be butterflies and marshmallows and puppies. And then what happens is I get the real December, I get the real life experience, and I'm disappointed with God. But as we look at the Christmas story, and we've already highlighted how Jesus didn't come into the world glamping. He came humbly. And so that's going to start to shape who this God is and what we expect following him to look like. You know that most of the gospels spend up to one third of the gospel focused on Easter week. When it comes to the Christmas story, it doesn't mean it's not important. Matthew spends a large amount of time on the Christmas story. Luke spends the most amount of time on the Christmas story. John kind of alludes to it very briefly. Mark skips over it completely. Once again, not because it's not important. The whole of Jesus' experience here on earth is predicated on the Christmas story. However, the truth of these words, he was born to conquer the grave. See, Jesus came as many things, but he came ultimately as king. And he came to demonstrate that he was king. King of kings, king of nations, king over death and king over hell and king over sin. But the question is, but how did he do this? I don't think there's a passage in the world that says it more clearly, and I'm gonna read the whole passage. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11. Speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you see the connection between the Christmas and the Easter story here. Therefore, therefore, as a result of this story, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, it is through this humble entry of Jesus into this world and how he knew that his story was going to go through the cross, which confused his disciples all the time, by the way. So if you're confused by that, you're in good company. And so for some of us, as we're seeking to engage the presence of God, and when we realize that the real, tangible, gritty, beautiful, powerful presence of God is not the Christianized version of the commercial Hollywood Christmas story, but rather the humble God who came as a servant to serve, and the humble God who served to the point where he climbed onto a cross to die for us. So we're wanting to encounter God. Instead, we're finding a servant, and we're being called into servanthood. We're searching for some overt worldly sense of victory. Instead, we find a cross. 
And for that reason, many Christians turn because their expectations haven't been met. However, this is the irony and the paradox and even what Paul calls the foolishness of the cross. It is the humility of Jesus that was the means by which he was exalted so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. It was the humiliating death of Jesus on a cross that was the means by which sin and death were defeated and his consequential resurrection. It was through the path of humility and humiliation that Jesus experienced resurrection and exaltation. And for that reason, if we're going to encounter the presence of God, we're going to be called into humility and servanthood. And we're going to be called to experience victory through sometimes carrying our cross. But that is the path of victory. It is the only path of victory. And so as we come to the communion table this week, I want to invite you just thinking about not just the little Christmas baby, but the baby who served us by climbing onto a cross for our sins, thereby defeating death and sin. We're going to come to the table, and I want to invite you to do this with great intention. Please just don't go through the motions. We're going to have these expectation thoughts on the screen. Let them guide you. When you are ready, come to the table. Take of the bread depicting the broken body of Jesus shed for our sins and the blood in the juice, the blood that was shed for our sins. And then let's just spend some time with God recalibrating our expectations. And let us come with a great sense that this is the God who is with us. And this is the God who is for us. And that as He becomes known by us, that we experience such beauty and power and glory in Him and in His presence. Let us pray. Father, we thank You that You are an Emmanuel kind of God. You are with us. You are for us. And so, Father, we adjust our expectations to your story. The story of the God who humbled himself became our servant, even to the point of climbing onto a cross for our sin, to defeat sin and death in the grave. So, God, we love you, and we come with a renewed focus for our expectations this Christmas season. And God, by your Spirit, as we engage you in communion, would we truly commune with you? Would we draw near to you and would you draw near to us? And would we know you in a beautifully powerful way?